What You Need to Know is brought to you by Morongo Casino Resort and Spa. Good times. Less than 90 minutes from wherever you are. Loud up. What do you got? All right, ladies and gents, if I were to ask you, what is the youngest person or who is the youngest person that you know that can snowboard? Kaplan, what is the age that you would give me? Um, I've seen little kids, you know, two, three years old, believe it or not, that are out okay. there shredding it up, you know? Sedano? Yeah, I've seen some young kids. I would probably say, like, I don't know, about two or three. I've seen, like, four and five-year-olds for sure. Okay, so I was, you know, I don't know how to snowboard till so, you know, I'm getting a... Right. Really showed up by kids. But I have a cute little video that I just posted on my Instagram at unique, U-N-W-E-Q underscore, if you guys want to see it, by an 11-month-old baby who actually learned how to snowboard before wow. she learned how to walk. That's crazy. 11 <laughs> months, okay? You guys did yeah, not hear nuts. me wrong. Yeah, that's nuts. I don't know uh, how to snowboard, guys. That's sad. Uh, I don't really know how to snowboard either. I can ski, uh, but I've never actually tried to snowboard. Um, it just, I, I don't know. I've never really had an interest in it. Um, I, I was, it's funny, I just got an email yesterday uh, about uh, passes for Big Bear. I, I always like to go to Big Bear at least once a year. I haven't gone obviously since COVID. Um, but I, I may go back, uh, you know, this, this winter at one point, maybe even just for a couple of days. I always love going up there. Big Bear is awesome, George. I love it. Um, it's a great little town and it's a really good, well, there's two resorts up there. Uh, one is, you know, where there's kind of like more snowboarder types and one is right. where it's kind of a little more skier, like Bear Mountain yeah. versus, I'm trying to think of the name of the other one, Snow Summit, I think. Snow but, Summit, yes. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Mammoth yet? I have not, no. But it's just too long of a drive, I feel it's, like. It's really not, number one, especially from L.A. I used to do it from San Diego and it, add another two and a half to three hours on it. But I'm telling you right now, by the way, you can fly to Mammoth. You can fly from Hawthorne. I know, You can fly I know, from know, uh, Burbank. But seriously, driving it, it's fun. The drive is beautiful. And, and it's really not that bad. Four to five hours from L.A. But the point is, Big Bear and Mammoth. Yeah, but four or five company. hours when you've got two small children is not ideal. Brother, I have been there. Believe me, I have been there with four small children. I get what you're saying. But I'm telling you right now, if you love skiing or snowboarding, Big Bear's awesome, and it's closer and it's convenient. See. But Mammoth is a completely different level. Okay. Yeah, seriously. And as I, no, I believe up, you. I yeah. just, you know, I just am not getting in the car for five hours. Really? Is that really five hours? That's too much. No one wants to do that. Really? Nah, bro. No, I don't mind the drive. Anymore. I really don't I mind don't, the I drive. Don't, like, if it was just me and like my wife, sure. But like maybe. But like if, I feel like four anything more than four hours is a lot, bro. How long like, does it take you to get to Big Bear from from your house right now? Uh, two and a half, maybe. It's not bad. I mean, it would always yeah. take me like I always would say two hours, but it was really always three. And then depending yeah. on you know the snow or if you needed right. chains going up or the traffic, because you know it's tough. No, to the get traffic up to Big can be Bear. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but there's multiple ways to get in and out of there. So, well, two really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's really two ways. You know, there's the front or the back. That's it. Right. Yeah. There's multiple ways. I'm more of a backdoor um, kind of guy. Yeah. Um. All right well, then. All right. That is what you need to know. Brought to you by Morongo Casino Resort and Spa. Good times. Less than 90 minutes from wherever you are. All right. So we were talking earlier about uh, Chris Mannix. Uh, who I haven't talked to in a long time. It's good to have him on the show here of Sports Illustrated, NBA columnist and insider. Uh, column about Frank Vogel and the Lakers struggles and who the hell is out here trying to blame uh, Frank Vogel. Well, Chris, I can tell you, living here in Los Angeles, there's a lot of people blaming Frank Vogel, but I read your column today, and I was like, finally, someone else feels the way I do. I think it's absurd considering this roster construction, Chris, that we're sitting here blaming Frank Vogel. I feel like it's such a lazy conversation. 
Yeah, it, it's the easiest one to have, right? Because trades are difficult. You're not going to fire, you know, people in the front office. Uh, coaches, you can swap in and out and, you know, tell yourself it was their fault. You know, it, this was predictable from the start of the season when, you know, you saw the construction of this roster, how difficult it was going to be for them to regain their place, the top three defensive team, how difficult it was going to be for them to incorporate Russell Westbrook into the mix offensively, given his obvious limitations. Uh, so you, you knew this was coming. It just, uh, you know, I, I, you just feel like the vultures are circling even earlier uh, when it comes to Frank Vogel. But if you want to make a checklist guys of, reasons why the Lakers are struggling, you know, Frank Vogel's nowhere near the top of that list. Okay, but Chris, the, the headline is, who is to blame for the Lakers' struggles? So I'll ask that to you. If it's not Frank Vogel, and George and I would both agree with you, we think it's kind of ridiculous that people are coming after Vogel for all of this, where would you place the blame? Well, I think you have to look to the front office first and foremost. Um, look, Rob Palenka deserves a lot of credit for constructing the roster over the last couple of years. He survived, you know, LaFair, Magic Johnson there, you know, over uh, a, a couple of years and put together a championship roster and a roster that last season, if not for the injury to Anthony Davis, they probably would have been at least in the finals, if not winning a championship. Uh, the decision, though, to deconstruct the roster, to make the trade that sent out valuable role players uh, for Russell Westbrook, role players that could have been flipped, as we all know by now, to Sacramento in a trade for Buddy Heal, which made a lot more sense, or just kept around. You know, bring back that same team, pay Alex Caruso to come back, and see if you know you could run it back with a group that looked like it could be a contender uh, at the end of the season. So uh, I think the front office for you know putting this sort of disjointed roster on the floor has to bear the lion's share of the blame. Yeah, look, I'm with you, and Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated with us here, and if you haven't seen the story, it's on Sports Illustrated's website, and of course you can check it out on his Twitter as well. Look, 10 games into this thing, I was like, this isn't going to work. They just don't play defense very well. Uh, as you pointed out, a lot of the guys they traded out um, were guys who played defense, and that's kind of always been a staple and a backbone of a Frank Vogel team. I mean, they flipped out 11 guys out of a 15-man roster I just didn't think that was a smart recipe for success. But do you believe that we could see a kind of 2018 LeBron Cavs situation where they shipped out like half the roster basically at the trade deadline? Do you believe that's possible? No, because you had more movable pieces on that 2018 team that you could, you could do something like that. This team three players are absorbing the lion's share of the salaries and the guys that are left on the roster. I mean, I think Trevor Reza or Kendrick, well, one of them is like the fifth highest paid player in the team, right? So it's like you're the guys that they're, they have left over don't really have any trade value. I mean, anyone could have had Kendrick Nunn. Anyone could have had Kent Bazemore. I mean, these were guys that, you know, wanted to be on the Lakers and Lakers wanted them, but it's not like the Lakers won a bidding war. For, for any of these guys. So I just don't see it. The trade value for Russell Westbrook is practically zero. You're obviously not trading AD, not doing anything with LeBron. So it, it's just it's not a lot of places you can go. What the Lakers have to hope for is that there is a robust buyout market. Um, I don't believe that to be the case right now because 
as you guys can see with the standings, there are a lot of teams that believe they're they're in that deep playoff run mix. Uh, but you know, the Lakers have to hope that something materializes in the next couple of months where you see, you know, shooters or playmakers emerge on the trade market that they can make a run at. Chris, you mentioned uh, blaming the front office and the way the roster was built. So you mentioned Rob Palenka, and he's the guy that is the face of the front office. But I would ask it this way. How much of the front office blame do you put on LeBron himself? Well, that's the question, right? Like, you know, Rob Palenka over the years has made no secret of the fact that he includes LeBron and Anthony Davis in conversations about the construction of the roster. A couple of years ago, I sat with him and he was telling me about the three-person text chain that he was on with, with LeBron and AD about, you know, kind of what pieces made sense for this roster. You have to believe that the fingerprints of Russell Westbrook are LeBron James's, that he's, he's all over that deal. I mean, look, it, again, this has been fairly widely reported, but it's true. I mean, Buddy Heald all but had his bags packed. I mean, the Sacramento Kings were convinced that deal was done, you know, with a Kyle Kuzma center package that was going to come up to Sacramento and Buddy Heald was going to go south. Something changed at the last minute. And, you know, Plank is too smart a basketball guy to not know that Buddy Heald makes more sense. Like, he's, he's a shooter. He's a career 40% three-point shooter. And think about it. When, when have shooters not thrived playing off of LeBron James? I mean, uh, you can go down the list of, of guys that, uh, that, that have played with him that have thrived in that particular role. So, I just feel like, and I don't think we'll ever know this this is true or not, but it just feels like there was a push from LeBron to get Russell Westbrook in. He's always admired his tenacity, and LeBron believes in his own skills and his ability to make things work. And, and you know, maybe LeBron really believes that he and Russ can, can find a way to make it work, but it didn't make sense at the time, and 22 games into the season, it doesn't look like it makes sense now. Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated with here. Last one for you, Chris. Um, you know, I subscribe to the theory that Tom Haberstroh and many other people have put out there over the years that uh, historically, if you look at it, and there are, of course, some outliers, the first 20 games of the season are more indicative of playoff success than the last 20 games. And if that's true, the Lakers are a seven seed right now, uh, which is obviously not ideal for them. But, uh, you know, regardless of that, there are some people that believe maybe they can flip a switch or whatever in the playoffs. What do you see out of them if this is the roster that they are going to head into the playoffs with? It, it, to me, it feels like a first-round exit. It, 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 and look, I get that that theory of the first 20 games, but it could be even worse for the Lakers because the first 20 games of this season were played with a soft schedule. I mean, they lost some games that they should have won. The Oklahoma City games, the Sacramento game, I mean, Minnesota, like there's you know, they, they've had a schedule that should have put them in a position to be five or six games above 500. Now they start into the teeth of what's going to be a difficult schedule over the next couple of months. And now they're likely to have to do it with LeBron on the sideline for next eight to 10 days or whatever it is that it takes him to get over, you know, this, uh, this COVID diagnosis. So uh, I, I'd be concerned if I'm the Lakers. I mean, I, I don't see Russell Westbrook morphing into a consistent and reliable three-point shooter this season. He never has. Uh, I don't see, you know, Carmelo Anthony and, and some of the other guards on that team that are out there turning into stalwart defenders. They feel like a bottom third in the NBA defensive team, or at least bottom half 
of the NBA defensive team, and teams like that just don't win, at least not on a high level. So they'll they'll make the playoffs. Like there's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But the idea that they're going to beat uh, a Phoenix or a Golden State in the first round, you know, that, that seems a little pie in the sky right now. Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated. Check out his work there. Chris, good to hear from you, man. Yeah, Thanks job, for coming man. on. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Yeah, way to go, All right, man. See ya. Oh, boy. Um, I mean, you, George, it, it is so weird because LeBron has what Aaron Rodgers wanted. Aaron Rodgers wanted a voice at the table to construct the roster. He said, I've earned it. And the Packers front office said, play quarterback, please. Just, just play quarterback. With the Lakers, the Lakers created a partnership with LeBron James. They didn't go sign a ball player. They created a partnership. And LeBron has his opinions um, not just heard, but delivered upon. And, you know, maybe he's a great player, but maybe he's not a great front office executive. We've seen this before. And I think a lot of this blame, Palenka will take it, Vogel will take it, but LeBron will not, and he should, my opinion. Uh, well, look, we what Chris said right now was what you and I talked about yesterday, is that Rob Palenka has openly talked about how they have an open conversation uh, about this stuff, him and Anthony Davis and LeBron. So um, a lot of what Chris said just kind of reinforces what we've been talking about here on this show, you and I. So, mm-hmm. All right, plenty to discuss there. We'll get to some of that. We'll also get to Russell Westbrook and how he should push back on LeBron. That's what Kendrick Perkins says. We'll do that after Radio Tinder. Radio Tinder is next. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, Linz, what do you got? Well, tomorrow is the first day of December, as you know. So that's only, what, 25 days till Christmas. And I'm starting my Christmas shopping and thought it might be a good idea to get my 10-year-old nephew a giant trampoline. I asked my sister if that was okay, and she said, yeah, that's fine. I think it'd be fun. But then her husband apparently is not super fond of the idea because he's worried about a bunch of kids coming over and getting hurt on their trampoline. So would you guys, you both have kids, would you let a family member buy your kid one of those giant trampolines? And I will, and the caveat here, that it's going to have a safety net. Swipe left or swipe right, Sedano. I mean, swipe right. We already have one of those, and that's already happened. So, um, awesome. you know, I think my in-laws or somebody <laughs> bought one. Uh, and yeah. it has, has a safety net. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're good. The kids, they used it a ton at the beginning. And then less and less as time has gone by. But it does get still some usage out of it, for sure. I would have to swipe left here, though, because the issue is, would you be upset if a family member bought your kids a trampoline without clearing it through you, the parents, first? 
Well, no, that's what I'm doing. I'm clearing it through the parents. So my question yeah. is, would you, do you want someone like, cause I asked on Twitter and at first it was 50, 50, because a lot of people side with my brother-in-law and say like, Oh no, unless you want to pay the hospital bills. And I think Laura said in like a text to me, something similar, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I am trying to clear it, but I'm saying I'm trying to convince my brother why it's a good idea. Yeah. I, um, here's, here's me being super uptight. You ready? I don't want the trampoline, and it's not only because I don't want to take the chance of my own kids getting hurt, because they get hurt, you know, walking down the hallway, frankly. But seriously, like, I don't want other kids here jumping on that trampoline. I don't want the liability. I don't want the trouble. I don't want to take the chance. And I know that sounds super uptight, but I just would say, okay, but let me ask you a question. I don't want it. It, 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 I mean, Grady, your kids are older, but when they were younger, um, did your kids play like football in the yard? Of course. Then they could get hurt doing that too. That's what I know. I'm saying that I they can get hurt doing anything, right? You know, mm-hmm. but I just don't want the extra risk at my house. Mm-hmm. You know, and my sister really, returned I mean, it, so she's yeah. with you, Cap. All right. Well, I'm with you, Lynn. I think it's fine. I'm gonna try and convince my Like you said, it's otherwise. fifty-fifty. It's two against two. Yeah. All right. I bought it, so I'm with her. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fun, and I want to jump on it myself. So. <laughs> right there, you go. I want to jump on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I remember asking you guys last week when we were talking about movies, Sedano said he wanted to see the new House of Gucci movie. Well, the surviving family members of the Gucci fashion dynasty have described the House of Gucci film as insulting in a lengthy and scathing response to the film's release. In a statement they issued, the heirs of Aldo Gucci called the film extremely painful from a human point of view and an insult to the legacy on which the brand was built. Does the Gucci's family's criticism of the film make you want to see it any less? Swipe left or swipe right, Sedano? Uh, swipe left? Like, I'm, I'm still going to eventually watch the movie, although it's gotten really terrible reviews. Uh, I'll still watch it just because I like the cast. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can understand why it would be painful for them. Of course, it's, it's a biographical film with maybe some embellishments, maybe not. I don't know. I haven't gone that deep on the research on it yet. Um, but yeah, of course, anything that's biographical is going to probably uh, be painful to somebody, you know, so I get it. Yeah, for me, it's the exact opposite, you know, rather than saying, hey, the Gucci's, Smoochies, whoever is uh, <laughs> is saying that they don't like the film, rather than that making me say, hey, you know what, the family finds this insulting and they don't like it, and so I'm not going to see it. In fact, what that does is that does the exact opposite to me. I'm like, wait a second. If they don't like it, something's here. I should probably see this. That doesn't mean I'm going to go to a movie theater because we all know I'm not. But <laughs> You might get around to seeing it in 20 years is what you're right. saying. Right. I mean, there could be a Thanksgiving five, six, seven years from now where I'm sitting around afterwards feeling fat and I just go, you know what? Let's turn on this Gucci movie. It's possible. That might happen. But it is a great cast. It is a great love cast. I mean, Al Pacino and I like Adam Driver a lot. And Lady Leto, Gaga's yeah. in this. Jared Leto. Leto. Laura, would you watch it? Yeah, why not? I want to see Encanto better, but yeah, sure. Encanto. Yes, I'm going to see it. And like you guys said, like the people saying, oh, it's exploitative, whatever. Well, I mean, there was That's like everything. Tax, tax evasion and a murder in the family. So, I mean, yeah, of course it is. But what what is it, you know? All right, last one really quick here. So RG3, Robert Griffin III, is promising to hit the Washington football team hard with a new book about his experiences with the franchise. Griffin announced today that he's writing a book titled Surviving Washington, and the publisher is describing the book as an explosive tell-all about the shocking mismanagement and toxic culture within the most dysfunctional professional football team in America. 
which I think we all kind of knew that already. But does this sound like a book that you want to read? Swipe left or swipe right, Cap? I'll swipe left. Um, it's not a book that I'm really looking forward to reading. I don't think I would read it. I, it kind of sounds to me like Robert Griffin is saying, hey, I had a great college career and everybody expected me to be a star in the NFL and I was doing subway commercials before I even hit the field. And guess what? Um, it didn't go so well for me. And, um, you know, I never really fulfilled the promise of a top overall draft choice. And so, you know, I got a bunch of sour grapes and I want to tell you that it wasn't my fault. It was the Washington football team's fault. It was Jay Gruden's fault. And it was everybody who was on that coaching staff. It was actually the Shanahan's. They they really did. They did him dirty, like the way they utilized him. He didn't have this body to work to. They basically, they basically utilized him like a hybrid between Cam Newton and Michael Vick. And he just didn't have that kind of body to do that. Yeah. I mean, I can remember I was broadcasting a game between Washington and San Francisco a few years ago. This is for CBS. And the whole storyline going into the game was, is RG3 going to be the starting quarterback? Is he going to be the backup quarterback? Jay Gruden was the coach at the time. I want to say he was the head coach. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a big disaster for RG3. It did not work out in any way. And the book kind of sounds to me, at least, yeah. again, first impression, sounds like it's, uh, hey, here's why it didn't work out for yeah. me. It's their fault. All right. Well, I'll, I'll swipe left as well. I like RG3 personally, but it's just not a book I'm really going to be all that interested in reading. I'm not going to lie that I'm going to read a book that I'm not going to read. Um, <laughs> but anyway, real quick, before we get out of here, Lakers is coming up next with Sliwa and Michael. Pre-game is coming up. Kendrick Perkins, our guy. Cap had this to say earlier today on NBA Today about Russell Westbrook and LeBron in their relationship. Go ahead. Over the last five games, Russ he's has, played better. He's played better. And I thought even the game against Sacramento, see, this is what people have to realize we're playing with LeBron James, okay? Look, you got to be able to stand up to him and say move out the way because <laughs> when, when we watched that game against the Sacramento Kings, I thought Russ and Anthony Davis had something going in the two-man game, whether it was high pick and roll, whatever the case may be. I thought they had it going. And then all of a sudden it went to that one side of the court, let's get it to Braun and everybody's space, and then the offense got stagnant. You have to be like a Rajon Rondo is to LeBron James when he's on the floor. Rondo don't have a problem with telling Braun, run, move out the way, I got it. Now, I, I agree with him. Um, you know, look, he played with LeBron, so did Richard, who was on that panel that uh, yesterday, or today, excuse me. Uh, look, I saw Dwayne Wade, um, you know, go at LeBron plenty. I saw Chris Bosh do it, you know, up close and personal. Uh, I've seen, you know, guys on the Cavs do it uh, when he was there, right? Like Kevin Love and him had his, some issues. Kyrie, you know, they had some issues. But sometimes conflict is good because that's part of resolving that is part of coalescing as a team, Cap. To me, I'm thinking to myself, it sounds really good in theory, but it's really hard in practice. Meaning, like, Russell Westbrook, hey, I joined your team. You brought me here, and now I'm supposed to tell you, yo, man, get out the way. It, it, it sounds good, in theory, a hard thing to do. Yeah, but again, these are guys who have told you, who are telling you they've played with him and have had those conversations. But we got to run. Uh, I'm sure Sliwa and Michael will talk about that and much more coming up here in just a sec. We'll be back full show tomorrow, full show Thursday, and a 90-minute show on Friday leading into the Lakers. Lakers and Kings up next. Sliwa and Michael will have your pregame. Michael and John on the call. Excellent work, Cap, Laura, and Lindsay. We'll talk to you mañana. See ya.